0: An unmatched dual threat. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle, presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back. To give back to not only those individuals that want to get into this business, but for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name, each week. I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. I've been fortunate to have a lot of relationships in this business, and this next guest is someone I met early on in my career and had the ability to work for as well. He's had a ton of success in his short career and is the youngest team president in the NBA. I'm excited to have the president of business operations for the Cleveland Cavaliers, Nick Barledge. Nick, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks, Travis. Appreciate you having me on board.
0: Absolutely. Well, Nick, always a pleasure talking to you and certainly appreciate our, our friendship. And you're a perfect guest to have here on 52 Weeks of Hustle, as as hustle has always been a big part of your career. And I guess really, the, I think the best place to start is from the beginning of your journey to discuss you, your climb up that corporate ladder. So you grow up in Minnesota, and then you go to St. John's to play basketball and started off by studying biology. So what made you want to play basketball in college and, and ultimately why biology?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I would just say, I'd, you know, like a lot of, like a lot of, like a lot of people growing up, I had a a big,
0: <clears throat> excuse me,
1: a big passion for sports, and um, you know, I just, I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to go play at a, a little D three school in the middle of nowhere in, in Minnesota, St. John's, which ended up being uh, the best thing that ever happened to me, just from a, a, you know the school and the values they, they they were about and all those things. And biology was just a was a shot in the dark, to be candid. I, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon for a sports team and. I took, I took biology and organic chemistry the first the – first, or the first year was biology. Second year was organic chemistry. And once I got to organic chemistry, I realized very quickly that was not going to be a career for me. Um, I wasn't that smart. and My mind didn't think that way. And so uh, my grades reflected it as well. Um, and so I needed, to, I needed to really focus on something I could be passionate about because I always had – a I felt like I always had a good work ethic. My parents raised me that way. Um, but you know, I, I needed something to, to be passionate about, um, in order to, to really strive for, for success in it. And ultimately I got really lucky and went to a career counselor. I just needed a lot of help. And, uh, he, he, he asked me to write down one of the three things I was passionate about and all three were actually sports. And so our different types of sport, but, um, and then he said, why don't you go get a career in sports? And I was like, I didn't even think that was possible. And that kind of lit the, it was kind of a light bulb moment for me and, and, and lit the, um, lit the match a little bit to, to get me fired up to, to try to find a career in this thing.
0: All right. So you talked about chemistry and getting into the career and, you know, real quick to, you know, talking basketball and, you know, I've played on the court with you. You're certainly competitive in everything you do, but you know, what were some important life lessons you learned from playing college basketball and that experience you had?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for, for me, a lot of the lessons were, you know, learned kind of as you grow up and then getting into college, just kind of accentuated a lot of those. But, I think things like, you know, hard work. I was always one of the first people in the gym when the last one's out, Um, never shied away from, you know, you know, sweating a little harder or working a little harder, whatever you want to say that it was. But um, I think hard work, I think, you know, the other thing it kind of teaches you in retrospect, as you look back on the experience is the importance of your teammates and the camaraderie and chemistry that's needed in order to, to be a successful team. And I was on some, some really successful teams growing up and I was on some, you know, not very successful teams growing up and, Um, I think one thing I learned was the spirit and the culture um, within those teams really kind of designated the the direction you were going to go and to a certain degree designated the amount of success that you were going to have. And so um, I really feel like that was, you know, that was a, those are great learning lessons. When you're in it, you don't, you don't really realize it until you get out of it and you actually get into a, a real world job that, you know, you start to really realize that, you know, once again, in hindsight, being what it is, you know, some of those kind of key core um, traits that you develop in that setting um, become vital to success um, outside of that setting.
0: Yeah, and certainly everything you do is, is very important for your success. And so sticking with college, you end up changing your major to psychology with a business administration minor, which ultimately led you to the sports world. So you know, during college, you start interning in a minor league baseball team, and that's where sales click for you, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I kind of got the bug early on. I love the competitiveness of it. I loved the, the thrill of a deal. Uh, I loved kind of chasing, um, chasing something, and, and that really, you know, that just that was kind of a it was a big catalyst for me um, to really be able to focus where my career entry would become um, in, in the sports industry.
0: So, so Nick, I know you know. Uh, there's a lot of great stories I love that you tell and you have a, a great passion for them. And one of the stories I always remember you talking about is when you're going to graduate, you sent out 172 resumes. Is that number correct?
1: Yeah, that's, that's right. You did your research, man. That's so right.
0: 172 resumes and you received zero responses. And so, you know, let's be realistic. Those are pretty impressive numbers. But, you know, obviously now in sales, rejection is a big part of it. How did you ultimately overcome that? I mean, a lot of people, you know, sitting here listening are going to like, if I reach out to 172 people, I'm done. I'm quitting. You know, so how did you overcome that? And how did you ultimately end up with the Phoenix Suns in inside sales?
1: Yeah, so it um, it, it actually, you know, developed quite a chip on my shoulder, I will say, because I, I felt like I was pretty good. I had some decent work experience in working for a minor league team, like you said. And so I, I you know, the fall semester of my senior year, I sit down, You, you 172, applications, resumes, cover letters. I send them all out. I, I, bought, I remember buying the stamps myself, which, which damn near bankrupt me at that point in time in my life. And, um, and you know, and, and it was just – it was one of those things where I said, I've I got to figure this out, you know. And, and it, was, it was always – I'd always been a pretty determined person. I, mean, I had learned, you know, perseverance and those kind of things through playing sports and just different life experiences. Um, and, and finally, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to kind of go back to the minor league team I'd worked for as an intern Uh, Their assistant GM had left for another similar position in minor league baseball. And they said, hey, would you do this? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'm just, to be clear, I want to get into professional sports. Um, And so I I signed up to do it for a summer. Um, So my second semester of my senior year, um, I worked 40 hours in the office and took 18 credits to graduate on time. And then also as I transitioned back up to that job, you know, I was was, was making no money. I was making a little bit of money, but not a lot of money. Um, I was living at home. Um, and I was, but I was having the time of my life because it's exactly what I wanted to do. I was selling, I was managing a ballpark. I was mowing the infield. I was getting concession stands ready. I mean, it was, it was everything under the sun, but it really, once again, just fortified my passion to be in sports. And so then I, I just, I'd always kept a curious eye, um, on applying for different opportunities. And I realized after a lot more research and a lot more just experience of failure, I'll call it that. You know, selling was going to be a great way for me to get into professional sports. And I, even though I won't be involved in the myriad of activities I was involved in relative to minor league baseball, um, I was just—I was able to just focus on selling. And so I kept applying, kept applying, and finally got a call back from from the Phoenix Suns and and uh, Jeff Ionello and, and Mike Toman and Drew Cloud. And and that was, you know, I, I remember they, I said they, they, they want to fly you, they want you to fly down. And I said, great. Well you know, do you need my information to book my flight? And they said, no, you're going to do it on your own dime. And I, I didn't own a suit at the time. You know, I mean, I was, I was very raw, very green. And so I said, okay, well, here we go. And, um, you know, I remember, I remember my going to shop with my mom to pick up, to pick grab my first suit. And, um, you know, it was, it was a pretty crazy, pretty crazy experience. But, you know, four days later I left the interview and, and, they offered me the job, and I said, "Great, let's go." You know, and so I packed up my car and moved across the country, and I didn't know a soul. But it was, it was honestly the best experience and, and the best thing that ever happened to kind of jumpstart my career in in the NBA.
0: No, that's great. You talk about, you know, had a great experience, had a lot of success in Phoenix. You know, your your tie's still there from your inside sales days, and you end up you mentioned, you know, four names there. You find some great mentors in this business. You do extremely well in Phoenix. You have a short stint back home there with the Minnesota Timberwolves before landing in Charlotte with the Bobcats at the time. You were in premium sales, and you know, at the time, you were one of the youngest premium sales team members, but certainly putting your name on the map. You know, what made you stand out between your time you know, in, in Phoenix and inside sales and selling at the Timberwolves and then ultimately with Charlotte uh, that led you to be such a successful salesperson?
1: I mean, look, I, I think the first thing is to your point earlier is, you know, whenever you work for and with great people that, that care about your development, which I was fortunate enough to do, um, that makes all the difference in the world. You know, you, you don't get to where you are today without great people and great mentors. And, um, you know, and I, that, that was, that was probably the first big step for me. I mean, they really, you know, between Jeff and Mike and, and, and some of the other people now that I've kind of, I've, I've gotten to know over the, the journey in your career or in our careers, you know, that, that was really, that was huge for me because I didn't, you know, I didn't know what a script was. I didn't know how to make a sale. I mean, I had made sales calls with the minor league team, but it was literally like, here's your pamphlet, go sell this, or, you know, and there was no training here's a phone book, call as many people as you can and hit. So there wasn't a lot of strategic um, understanding as far as what it took. And so having those people was, was paramount. But I think that, you know, the one thing, and, and we've really tried to adopt these characteristics, um, in regards to who we hire um, and, and who we try to recruit to our to our team and to our company, um, you know we always talk about people that they want to be passionate about what they're doing. You know, it's 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 one thing to be passionate about sports. There's a lot of people that are passionate about sports, a lot of fans, a lot of that kind of thing. But really passionate about your craft and passionate for me it was passionate about selling. Um, you got to be open to learning. You know, which this world changes so much so quickly. Um, you've got to be permeable to to new ideas and to new thoughts and to innovation and evolution and and I think that's one of the greatest things that's coming from this point in our time as a country right now is it's forcing us, a lot of us to innovate, it's forcing a lot of us to evolve. And I think that's, that's just uh, a, core, core, a core competency or core characteristic of what I think it makes people successful. Um, and then you got to be positive. You know, sports are a crazy cycle. I've been, you know, Travis, you know, I've been kind of at, at some pretty high highs, but I've, you know, I've only made the playoffs twice in 14 seasons in the NBA um and the rest of those have been kind of either building projects or things we've been working on and so you got to have a high baseline of positivity to be able to deal with those kind of things and manage through them and then you know i think the one of the the other core one the core piece for me was just work ethic um you know i can remember back when you were with the hawks and i'd see your call report numbers and it would you know it, it would really i'd get fired up if you beat me by 20 or 30 calls in a day so i'd get in even earlier and make even more calls you know and and um And I, you know, so those are the, you know, that was always the thing I hung my hat on was I was extremely passionate. Um, I worked extremely hard. I was always trying to learn and grow and get better. And you read a bunch of books and I still do. And I firmly believe no matter how successful you are, you're never a finished product. The people that, the people that just kind of get to a certain level and they feel like they've made it, you know, those are the people that ultimately start to kind of flatline in their career growth. And and I just, I firmly believe even today, as I sit here, I've got a lot to learn And, and you've got to be humble about that. And you've got to be very... Um, understanding about that. And you got to be, you have, a, you have to have a curiosity to it. So I, I don't know if I answered your question, but those are, you know, those were, I'd say, were some of the key key things for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Nick. And I think that's some of the things I've, I've always respected about you when, it, when I met you early on in my career as well, is you had a passion for that. You, you talk about passion for your craft. And, you know, I know you and I have joked where we'll have candidates come in. like Why do you want this job? Oh, I love sports. Great. You should buy a season ticket or a membership. You know, you need to have a passion for your craft. And I think the work ethic, it's a a numbers game, as we've talked about, and You know, you mentioned mentors a couple of times and Nick, in this business, we talk a lot about the value of relationships and and not only does your your work ethic and success stand out, but you've always been one to go above and beyond forming great relationships, making a name for yourself. You know, that certainly has shown as you've worked for two different franchises, both Phoenix and Cleveland, which we'll get to on two different occasions. So, you know, first, the move to Cleveland, the first time, you know, from Charlotte to ultimately be the vice president of sales and service. What made you want to get into leadership, and and ultimately then what made you move to the Cavs?
1: Yeah, I think we, you know I'd always just wanted to focus on selling for a really long, you know for a decent portion of the first part of my career, and then I remember I took a I took a position within the Bobcats as a night sales manager, um, managing college kids you know that were coming in to help us sell mini plans and, and other things, and um and I, I I as I got into that I, I just kind of got this this bug for it, you know, the fact that I could impact people's lives, I could impact their development, I could impact the trajectory of where they were going. And that ended up really starting to rise above from a priority end for me or for a passion end for me, um, just closing big deals, you know, and I still loved closing big deals, but I, I I wanted to help other people do it. And so for me, I think, you know, when you look at getting into leadership, you need to get into it for the right reasons. It's not it's not in order to tell people what to do. It's in order to, to help be a part of, of their development it's about help being it's about being a part of um, something bigger than yourself and ultimately putting others before yourself and i tell people all the time you know our ceo, my, our CEO len kamarowski and myself uh, we really look at ourselves like we're at the bottom of the org chart and we're it's our job to support you know the rest of the team and putting them in a position to be successful but you know for me leaving the bobcats to go to the the calves was a hard decision because i had a great relationship with fred whitfield Who's still their president right now? And and they were going through some trying times, and I didn't want to abandon the situation. But ultimately, you know, I felt like going to Cleveland, which had a strong, strong lineage of of great people that have worked here and great culture, you know, led by Len, um, led by, you know, people that predated me, Chad Estes, Mike Andrako, Mike Toman, who hired me and helped hire me in Phoenix, was was working here as well. And so that was a a big, big, big factor for me. Uh, And then the opportunity to manage and lead, you know, a premium team. I, I knew I wasn't. Um, cut out for maybe an entry-level sales manager position. I wanted to kind of manage a little bit of a higher level so that I could help still close deals and and do things that I felt like I I had some success at. Um, But that really is what led me here. And then, you know, lo and behold, I was kind of here in 2009, 2010. um, The decision part one happens. um, And and next thing you know, our business is kind of turned upside down for a period of time. Uh, And that experience of being able to go through that Um, you know, seeing adversity and then climbing out of, out of that and and finding success and working for a guy like Dan Gilbert, um, was, was, was unbelievable. I mean, that was, you know, a very, very, very fortifying moment in my career relative to my own development and and really set my compass in the direction that, you know, to, to get to this position now. Um, and, and, I can't understate that enough, you know, working for a guy like Dan who sees around corners and, and can see the next move before a lot of people can, if, if anybody else can, um, And it's just uber successful in a lot of things because he's built by the right things, which are focused on people and culture and and, and that kind of stuff. You know, that ultimately was really what kept me here. And it's also what drew me back because it was, um, you know, is just such a it's a a great place to be because of the, the opportunity that he affords for everyone involved.
0: Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live, out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss. Your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription, visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use code BLUEWA. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Nick Barlage, President of Business Operations with the Cleveland Cavs. And Nick, you mentioned it, you know, a couple of times. Your, your overall record in the 14 years is probably a, a 400, 500 winning percentage, two playoff experiences. And, you know, the first time around at the Cavs, you, you do witness that decision, you know, part one, uh, where LeBron leaves, Uh, needless to say, it wasn't a walk in the park and a lot of uphill battle, but you and your team still had a lot of success. And I think most importantly that came from that, as you, as you think about that lineage that you talked about, you're able to build a lot of really good people. That was a part of a really, really good culture. So what do you feel like made that team so successful, even though there was a lot of adversity and and ultimately now in in moving forward, what are you consistently looking for to have successful people in a great culture? yeah I think you know I think
1: first we we really had to um look, there was a lot of people it was an amazing seven year run the first time you know he he played for the franchise and set records at, at multiple levels, and so we had a lot of people that are really used to that, you know and, and and this was a much different process, and for me i have always kind of embraced the grind to a certain degree because you you, you kind of have to and and it was still a significantly easier sell than when I was in Charlotte at the time because Charlotte had just a lot of things that they were facing. Uh, within the community and they're in a significantly better situation now with, with Michael, Michael Jordan's ownership. And um, but, you know, for, for me in that situation um, it really was about finding the right people that had a passion. I go back to those four kind of key characteristics I mentioned before, you know, look, when you're losing a lot more than you're winning, um, it's easy to be negative. And we needed to find people that were positive. We needed to find people that were passionate about being in sports and selling in sports. And we, we ultimately needed to just work harder. You know, and, and so for us, it was it was a lot of that stuff. I mean, those were some of the you know, I always say that every every stop is like you I've never worked harder. But at that point in time in my life, I had never worked harder um, at, re, you know, kind of rebuilding um, a portion of the business in the, on the ticket sales and service side. And, and so it was it was it was it was an incredible lesson because, you know, look, we I think we still hold one of the records for the lowest renewal rates in, in league history coming off of that 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 following season. Um, but then we started building back again and we did it through great people. I mean, that, that is the easy, I mean, that is, that is the only way I can describe it is we recruited the right people. We trained, we trained the right way and we let them go do their thing. And, and we put them in a, within a strategy that was super, that was uber aggressive from a sales perspective, um, had a high degree of value to it. Um, and it ultimately allowed us to then start to rebuild the business back, but it it starts and stops with people. It starts and stops with people um and, and without that and i you know and i was able to was fortunate to be able to come back to the organization a lot of the people had were still here and it was great to see people we hired and you know entry-level sales positions now they were managers and directors and some of their entry-level managers were now vps and and so it was it was really cool it was really unique to see that type of growth and um you know it, but it, the foundational piece is you gotta have you gotta have the right people and they got to be on the bus and they got to be willing to go as hard as you're willing to go. And, um, and they were, and and that's what, you know, that's what ultimately made us great. It wasn't me. Um, it was the group and the team that we had.
0: Yeah. No, you guys have built a great team, great culture, a lot of great people. And so you. after spending five years there in Cleveland, you make the move back to where it all started, back to Phoenix with the Suns as the SVP and chief sales officer. And, and so, you know, how did that role come about? And I think that the, maybe the biggest question is, you know, how was it going back to where you were once a sales team member, and now all of a sudden you're leading the people that you know maybe you started with, or maybe you were there when you were there?
1: Yeah, I mean it was um, it was it was a great it was a it was a great it was a great um, opportunity um, that Robert Sarver and Jason Raleigh um, provided me at a very young age in my career, and I give them a lot of credit. You know I don't I don't know too many um, owners and presidents and CEOs of teams that would you know give a 29 year old that type of that type of opportunity um, but, you know, I, I, think it was, it was kind of surreal at first to be candid. Um, but then after that it was, it was like, okay, let's, 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 let's get this thing going and let, let's make sure we, we, we've got it headed in the right direction. And so, um, you know, it was very similar to what we did in Cleveland. It was about people and it was about, you know, our process and our strategy and our culture and, and all those things. And, and, you know, we ultimately, um, I think built a, a really strong foundation there that was already there for many years of great leaders once again, but, um had kind of lost direction because they didn't have somebody in that role for a certain period of time. And so um it was just about dusting it off really and, and, and getting back to the core of what made it great um for so many years um under Robert's ownership. And so, you know, that was that was a bit surreal. Um and it was a great learning lesson for me though, because you're right, there were some people that were still there that I was, you know, went from being an entry level salesperson kind of looking up to um to now, you know, managing and leading. Um, but I, I feel like it really accelerated my professional maturity, uh, it really accelerated my ability to kind of understand and assess situations. And then it also, I'd also say that it started to stretch my mind relative to, to strategic thinking. I started thinking more in the terms of business cycles and, and an annual basis and, you know, what's a two three year vision look like? And, and I hadn't really thought about that prior to I'd always kind of lived campaign to campaign or, or, or season to season. Um, and, and so it started to kind of crystallized the chessboard a little bit more for me um, in regards to how you approach those kind of things at a, at a higher level.
0: Yeah no absolutely and to, and to your point you brought this up a couple of times it, you know it starts with the people and you really can't overthink or overanalyze the X's and O's right if you have the right people the right culture the right process you're going to have success and then you can get in to innovative thinking and, and I know that's one thing you mentioned and that's something I've always respected out of you is You've always had the willingness to think outside the box and actually take that risk and take that chance. And, you know, working in a tough situation in Cleveland, you guys did that. In Phoenix, you know, and I know you and I time there together at the Suns, like it was certainly, you know, a lot of innovative thinking. We had to come up with new ideas and new things and we're still able to have success. So why is innovation important to you? And, you know, the listeners here, whether they're in sales or in leadership, why do you feel that they always need to be thinking outside the box?
1: Yeah, look, I I think um, the importance in that is is really just about you know I always like one of the things I do whenever I started a new job these last few jobs um, is I go through and in my work email I'll, I'll 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 subscribe to a bunch of what I think are very successful retail companies or retail brands. Um, not because I'm buying anything, but just because I want to see what they're doing. I want to see what their campaigns look like. I want to see what their strategy looks like. I want to see how they're managing their database. I want to see, you know, and, and then if I, if obviously, if I like something, I'll, I'll think about it. But, um, but I do that to just keep my mind kind of always moving in a direct, that's a forward direction. Um, and then obviously, you know, reading a ton of books and, and just observing a lot of successful people that we've been, I've been fortunate enough to just be around and observe. But, you know, when you think about it, from an innovation perspective, and I'll use an example, um, that's really core to us here. You know, I, I think about what Dan and Jay have done, Dan Gilbert and Jay Farner have done at Quicken Loans from a Rocket Mortgage perspective. Um, you know, five, six years ago, seven years ago to think you could get a mortgage online and do it within, you know, kind of the snap of it. So their, their slogan is push button, get mortgage. Um, and I just actually just, I've gone through the process with that, with them now a few times as a, as a home buyer it's incredible what they've been able to do from an innovation perspective. And now it's ultimately led them to be the largest home lender in the United States. And so you use that just as a simple example, right? That's way out of sight of sports and has nothing to do with it, nothing to do with what we're talking about, but transferably it has everything to do with what we're talking about because it's really at its core. It's about innovation. And so for us, you know, we are constantly thinking about like my task to our group is as they're bringing a sales campaign, you know, to me to evaluate, or we're working on it together whatever the case may be is or we're thinking about how we were going to transform our building. You know, it was really thinking about what's like, okay, here's what the standard is right now, or here's what the best practice is right now, but what's the next two or three steps ahead of that look like? Because that's ultimately where we need to get to. And, and, and that's always how, you know, and I think I've been classically conditioned to think this way because of great people like Dan and like Len and, and, and like others that have been in my career in and around my career and have influenced me. Um. And so it's, it's kind of that methodology. And then, you know, the other thing I think is, it's like, how can you stretch the rubber band of your own mental capacity to even think further ahead? You know, we go to, you know, this, we go to league meetings and coming back from some of those league meetings, I'd say, look, that's a great idea that XYZ team had, but how can we take it to another two or three levels deeper than that? And how does it customize to our marketplace? And, and I think you got to have those conversations with yourself. You know, I think that that type of reflection and that type of just curiosity around it um, drives innovation and, and ultimately drives you to, to, to create a greater impact. Um, based on just, just trying to think, just trying to think that way, which I, you know, right. I think some people absolutely have that gift. Um, and others, it takes a little bit of time to get trained into it, but I was fortunate enough early on in my career to, to get, to get trained into that because of, like I said, the great people that, that I had that I was, I was working
0: for and with. So Nick, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. You mentioned you you subscribe to a lot of these emails, and certainly some of them catch your eye. What was the last time? Uh, what was the last email you ended up pulling the trigger on and actually purchased something from?
1: Oh well, it's I was actually just looking at my inbox to see if I can find one. I will say, you know, I, I I do enjoy um I do enjoy I do enjoy playing golf. So if I get something that's from a Grayson or something that's from you know tailor-made or something like that, it, 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 there's, there's a good, there's a good amount, there's a good chance that something's going to happen. Uh, my nuts, but um, that's probably my, my guilty, my guilty pleasure a little bit. So, nice.
0: well, and so, you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, innovation and, and certainly doing a lot of great things in Phoenix, you know, and as you're building great things, you get a call, you know, from the Cavs owner, you've mentioned a couple of times, Dan Gilbert, asking you to come back and help lead the business operations team. And so you talk about a great relationship someone that respects you and what you can bring to the table. You know, I guess on on two ends. One, how did you go about building a great relationship, you know, with the ownership group as a lot of our listeners are either in leaders that they're sitting in these meetings with owners or even a sales team member is going to be meeting with owners. Um and then what why was that an easy move for you back to Cleveland, you know, almost three years ago now? Yeah, I think look it's I think when you when you're talking about that it you know from an ownership
1: perspective, I think it's about you know, doing things the right way. And for me, I was always accessible. I was always in and around the business. I always made sure I knew, you know, to, to the, the nth degree exactly what was going on detail-wise, whether it was in revenue numbers, whether it was in sales activity. And, and I, I didn't do that out of, you know, trying to kind of, you know, suck up or prove myself to ownership. I did it because I felt like it was the right thing to do. And so I think authenticity um, is really important in being able to be trustworthy and, and dependable. Um, it is really important. Look, there was a lot of dynamic times we went through my first time around here in, in Cleveland and there was a lot of, you know, customer sentiment that was going being sent to Dan and so I made it a, a real priority of mine to just just have a very, very, very accurate pulse of what was on the business. By no means am I omnipotent and do I, do I know everything that's going on at all times, but I, I really tried to focus on the details. And, you know, he, he, he has a, a magical way of getting into numbers and he can find something that you're like, I, I you know, shit, I, I don't know, shoot, I don't know what's going on. Um, and so it really refined my thinking and, and really dialed me into the details. Um, and, you know, there's an ism that he has, which is his cultural book is the inches are inches are everywhere around us. And, and I think that's just, it's so true. I mean, he finds that inch and he can, he can really, um, he can turn that inch into a foot very quickly and turn it into a great opportunity. So um, you know, that was, that really kind of helped sharpen my thinking. And then working for a guy like Robert, who was very similar with the numbers and the finances side of the business, same thing, right? Just continued to kind of sharpen um, how I I could think and how I could approach the business and ultimately develop and train my mind to just think a little bit, think a little bit differently. And then coming back, you know, it was, um, and then I guess building into the relationship. So it was really about authenticity. I think it was about having, you know, being very detail oriented, being very focused on the business, Working extremely hard, I mean, I would I would respond immediately if it was 11 o'clock at night or if it was five in the morning. Um, and I think that helped to start build, you know, build a, a decent level of trust. And then, you know, I, when I left, I, I think one of the best things you can do, and I do this with all of the, with all the mentors in my life as well as our, 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 all of our customers, I set Google alerts to every single one of them, whether it's their company or whether it's their name. And so I would see great things that Dan was doing in Detroit. And I just ping him with a little email and say, Hey, I just saw this happen. You just bought this building or you just congrats on this playoff win or whatever the case may be was. And sometimes he responded, sometimes he wouldn't, but I, that didn't, that didn't deter me. I wanted to make sure I maintained the the, the relationship. And sometimes I dropped my handwritten note in the mail, you know, and just, just little things like that, that I think make a big difference in people's lives. And I do the same thing with Len who's the CEO. I do the same thing, you know, with, with other mentors that are in my career. And, and I think, those little things add up to the big things and in this in this day and age you know everything's about instant gratification and, and and all those kind of things but those little things from a relationship end create foundational building blocks for people to to trust you and and to to ultimately to, to trust you with things that are within the business and so um that was really how i tried to you know approach it And once again it wasn't in a self-serving way it right. was just in a way because i i did care i cared about dan i cared about the family of companies and I wanted to see them be successful. You know, I was their biggest fan when I was in Phoenix when they were going on their finals runs. Um, and you know, my wife can attest, I watched every game, you know, and, and, and was, was very, very passionate about it and wanted to see them win. Um, and so then I think coming back, you know, look, it was, it was um, you know, anytime you're able to take a career growth opportunity in a familiar setting with people that you know, it was very easy. You know, I mean, look, Phoenix was a great experience. I loved it. It I really, I really did. Um, but this was just, it was, it was a, it was a more encompassing role that I, I had aspired for. It was a goal of mine within my career. And it was for an owner that I empirically trust and care about. Um, and, 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 and as well as a CEO and, and that really helped just kind of fortify my decision and made it, you know, made it very, very, very easy.
0: So you talk a lot about it. It it all comes down to the right people. And I think, you know, a big piece of advice that came out of that is is for everyone listening, Google Alerts, right? It's so easy, but it's such a a good thing on the sales end, on the leadership end, on the mentorship end. And, you know, I guess leads into the next thing. We we talk a lot about control what you can control. And, you know, just as you're coming home to Cleveland, uh, you're there for the first time around that LeBron departed. Then he departs again, and I don't know if it, maybe it's you, maybe he had found out that you played some college basketball and he was a little nervous, but, you know, once again, you guys, you and your team have a lot of success. You end up generating over $700 million in COI, contractually obligated income. Uh, so what advice would you give to everyone listening to just control what you can control and not worry about what's on the quarter, on the field, or what else is going on, but just get down to business every day?
1: Yeah, look, I think you know that there's there's always a lot of you know speculation in those type of moments you can live in, and the great thing about it was, look, we had an amazing four year run, and so our business was was flying was flying you know pretty high, and 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 he deserves a lot of that credit you know, and 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 it was a, it and and I think the one thing we really settled on was you're so thankful that it happened, and now but but how do you prepare for the future, and and that was really how we approached it, right? We were, we were extremely thankful for the moment and the experiences and all those things that we had, the success that we had, but how do we prepare for the future either way? And I think that, you know, the first time around, you know, I, I, I would just say, you know, I wasn't at the same level within the organization, so I can't speak for what, how we approached it maybe um, as holistically, but I would say that, you know, we, we kind of expected success, a successful outcome and, and in regards to, you know, him, him staying. And, And the second time around, we, we were, we were, um, We were preparing for the worst and planning for the best, if that makes sense, kind of all in the same way strategically. And so ultimately what that that has to do is like to your point is we just focus on what we can control. We couldn't, we couldn't control um, a decision, nor, nor did we, nor do we want to, that's an individual's right. And that's an individual's decision. Um, But we, we, we really tried to um, maximize the moment, you know, and it was a perfect storm candidly timing wise. I mean, sometimes in this business, you know, it's, it's great to be smart. Sometimes it's, it's great to be lucky, you know, and we were very lucky to have, you know, the greatest player in the NBA, you know, at that time and, and you know, probably currently playing for us and going through a great, crazy, you know, four consecutive finals. That's just, that's just rare air and having a building transformation come online. So when you bring those two things together, you couple that with the strategy that our CRO at the time, Brad Sims had put together, as well as some of our other sales leaders, Eric Klaus and Shelly Caette. And and you start to you start to be able to bring that stuff together and that type of convergence of timing and opportunity and that's when you see the yield the yield from a results perspective um you know it's, it's not because you know we're Albert Einstein I'm not I'm not going to pretend that I'm not going to try to take credit for that um it's because we had timing and opportunity that came together and we made the most of it um and the other piece I would say too is um, that you can't understate in this business we have an amazing market you know Cleveland is an amazing sports town we have great fans we have we have great partners. Um, you know, even this year, we were the sixth, we had the sixth highest viewership in the NBA. We're a lottery team. You know, we we're the second, second worst record in the NBA, but we had the sixth highest ratings in the NBA. Um, and so you start thinking about stuff like that, and, and you're just you're grateful for the support that you have, um, and you're grateful for the people that you have that ultimately, you know, make the most of those, those kind of, like, like I said, that convergence of timing and opportunity coming together in a, in a symbiotic fashion.
0: No, cer- certainly a passionate sports city, and you, know, you, you go back as the president of business operations, Cavs. You mentioned like you know a lot of listeners. You have career growth aspirations. You you aspired to be and oversee multiple verticals of that business, and, and you know now you're the your youngest president of the NBA. You're tasked to oversee multiple verticals within the organization. So how is that transition? And you talk about innovation and, and evolving. Like how have you evolved as a leader, knowing that you're managing people that are either older than you or, or at times are in, this, in that certain vertical or that certain field longer than you've been, you know, a part of it as well. So how do you, what is the advice do you have for that?
1: Yeah, look, I think that's,
0: that's, that was, you know, in,
1: in both stops, going back to Phoenix and coming back to Cleveland, you know, both of those, that was, you know, that was a learning curve, you know. And I, I think the one thing I'd always done, and I'd learned this early on from, from um, somebody I'd worked with, was you've got to be great at your day job. But then after your day job, you've got to be great at being curious about what's going on in the business. And so, you know, for a long time I had, even when I was a salesperson, I would, you know, I'd ask the CMO out to lunch and understand what they were doing. I'd ask the head of HR out to lunch and understand what they were working on what was important to them, communications. You know, I always had a goal early on in my career of, of, of being in a position like this or, you know, a position like Lens. And, and so for me, it was, it was always trying to be a student of how the business was operating And so it really wasn't it was it was a curve. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't as long of a curve because, you know, from the moment I stepped foot into the office in Phoenix back in 2007 or whenever it was 2006 um, until now, I had always tried to be very curious about what everyone was doing. You know, who ran our building? I remember going to lunch with Alvin Adams in Phoenix and just asking him questions about certain aspects of building operations and I. Look, I sold tickets for, you know, a long time in my career. I didn't know anything about HVAC systems or building operations and those kind of things. But I started to develop a respect and an understanding for it. And I think the other piece of that, you know, you talk about just managing and leading people is you have to trust them. You know, and you have to have a, you have to create a benefit of doubt in the situation um, and you have to have trust. And, and, and that's a really important initially. Um, and then you can start to really understand, you know, their their abilities and what they can do and, and all of those things. Um, but you have to have that trust and that benefit of data as kind of found as a foundational piece. And look, if you've got to make a change, you know, because of philosophy or because of performance or whatever, you have to, and, and that, that's, that, that's fine. I was, but I was very fortunate in order to in coming back to Cleveland, um, to have a very senior group that were very good at what they did, very dialed in. They, they cared a lot about the business. Um, and so that was, that made it a lot, that would it a lot easier, candidly. Um, but I think that's kind of how you have to approach it, you know, and I can remember my, the th- thinking about when I came back here the first time I said, for the first six months, I just really want to help. I want to engage with the business. I want to ask a lot of questions. I want to understand what people are working on. I want to understand where the opportunities lie, and then I want to formulate a game plan. And then I want to start to move that, move, move that process forward. So I, I think you do have to be a great listener. Uh, you know, they say, God gave you two years and, and, and one mouth for a reason, Um, and I really believe that's important, you know, and I'm on, I just was finishing up a game a review or a game plan review as we call it here. I bet you I spoke 20% of the time because I just asked questions and listened. And I think that part's really, really and took notes and understood, um, what that, what that team leader was, was going through or working on it within our, within our org and within our team. And, And so I think that those things are really, really, really important and they can help to kind of, you know, just, just build a stronger degree of trust. Um, and connectivity within the organization
0: yeah no absolutely and you know, Nick, you and I are you know, on the side in more friendly conversations. We talk a lot about real estate and you're able to be a part of something very special that a lot of people don't have the ability to be a part of. And, you know, over the last few years, you've played a, a vital role in one hundred eighty five million dollar renovation of the arena. And so you talk about hustle and I, I know you mentioned multiple times that you're know, going through that is, is around the clock effort. So how is that experience, you know, of that kind of that your renovation.
1: Yeah, look, it was an, it was an incredible experience. And I, I do go back to, like, we have a, a great team of people that helped us through it um, between our general contractor and, and, you know, architects as well as the team we have here. Um, and so it's not just a singular effort. I mean, it definitely takes a, a, a massive village to pull something like that off. Um, but it, look, that experience was was incredible. You know, I mean, I it, it is a lot of work. It's like you basically, I always tell people, it's like you have two and a half jobs. You have a construction job you have your day job and then you also have to make sure that you're selling and monetizing it um, to the degree that you need to be in order to, to ultimately pay for it and make the project make sense. Um, so, uh, you know, as, as you, as you, as you, as you look at it, um, it, it was something that really challenged me initially, you know, and I, I was pretty quiet early on. I wanted to understand things I, terminology and acronyms and, you know, all the stuff that goes with it. I remember going home at night, I would write notes in my notebook about acronyms that the GC was using And I'd Google them to understand what they were so I could be be more adept in in that way. Um, But it was was great. I mean, it was, you know, once I got into it by a few months, it was really easy to pick up, uh, really easy to understand. um, And and then ultimately, you know, really got into a lot of the details and the the nitty gritty of it. Um, And I think the appreciation you get coming out of a project like that is just the intricacies and the complexities of it all. Um, and how they all need to be timed up and synced up. And, look, it was a fast-track project. It was 18 months um, to transform an entire building while, while a season was going on, um, while an NBA season was going on, into the NBA finals, uh, and then shutting down for two summers you know, consecutively to, to try to get it going. So it was, um, it, was, it was a really unique experience, but it's one that um, I, highly, I would highly advise people to try to be able to go through one if they can. Um, whether it 's a new build or a transformation because it, it is uh, it stretches you in ways you don 't think are possible um, and then but then you also can see the outcome which is which is pretty fantastic
0: no absolutely and, and huge congrats to, to all of you and your team's success and you know Nick I, I think it 's pretty clear to all the listeners that and I certainly know just to, of my relationship with you you 're a hard worker, you put a lot of hustle and effort into your everyday but you know something that i 've always admired about you is is you know you've talked throughout this entire podcast you you read a lot you talk to a lot of your mentors, you're always there, you're, you're responding to emails at 11 o'clock at night at 5 a.m., but you still find time to, you know, to, to spend with your precious family, with your, with your wife, you know, Tracy and, and Brooklyn and Kennedy, your two daughters, like, how do you find time to balance all the professional asking requirements and still be, you know, that, that father and dad and, and kind of what advice do you have on that work-life balance, if there is such thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I would say that I'm, I'm – you could ask my wife, but I'm not as as great at this as I'd like to be. Um, but it is an absolute priority, you know, and and, 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 and our, our two daughters are, you know, the, the most important thing. And, you know, people always – I think, in, you know, Trav, you've gone through this exercise before. People ask what your why is. And early on in my career, was, it was growth and it was development and it was it was getting to the next step. Um, and now my why is, is are those two, you know. And so as you think about it, it's it's just prioritizing them I'm truly at the top. So, you know, when you go home, uh, I'll go home tonight and I'll have roughly an hour and a half to two hours with them. I will make sure that I'm I'm there. I'm present. Yep. I'm talking to them. We're, we're having, you know, we have dinner or whatever it might be. Or I'm putting them down as much as I possibly can. And I've always made it a priority to try to put my head the bed. I always say as much as possible, even despite, you know, a lot of travel and a lot of different things that can come up from time to time. I'll, I'll, I'll go to a meeting and I will take the red eye back if I need to, or I will, I will drive back and get back at three o'clock in the morning just so I can wake up and be with them. You know, that 45 minutes or an hour, dropping them off at school. Um, you know, you just, you prioritize those time slots, you know, and then on the weekends when you have a moment um, once again, I, I try to take them to breakfast or you you do those little things that um, to let them know that you're always present and you're always there. And And I think that's, um, you know, ultimately a big focus of mine. Am I perfect at it? I'm not, I don't think anybody is that, you know, it works, works hard. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's an important piece and it's also something that, you know, you want them, they, you want to, you want them to see you working hard cause you want to then instill those values into, into, into your children. Um, but you got to do it by being present. You know, you, you can't, you can't just, um, you know, kind of check in and check out when you want to.
0: Great advice. And it's always finding a way to be present And, you know, Nick, this has been great. ton of great advice. You know, again, here, Nick Barlage, President of Business Operations, Cleveland Cavaliers, a a Sports Business Journal 40 Under 40 winner. And to close it out, Nick, I'd like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? We'll see. I I know I gave you a little bit of a start with, you know, the, the email and the golf, but if you had to delete all but three apps from your phone, which ones are you keeping? Ooh.
1: Um, the banking app, yeah, the email app,
0: and the text message app. All right, there you go. So communication and money. There you go. Yeah. That's driving. Uh, next one. If you could have a, a superpower, what would it be and why?
1: I'd love to see into the future, especially right now. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's a superpower necessarily, but you know, you always try to contemplate and think about what's coming. Like I mentioned, some of the traits of some of the most successful people I've ever seen or read about or have been able to interact with, guys like Dan Gilbert, Bob Iger, Adam Silver, um, you know they have this innate ability to be able to see more moves ahead on the chess board than, than the common person does. And so I spend a lot of time studying that, that candidly, reading about it, um, and, and even just trying to observationally pick up on habits of, of things. And um, But that would be the trait that I'd want. Nice. I love it.
0: And so, final one on this end, if you could choose two people to have dinner with, uh, and they can be dead or alive, who would they be and, and why? Hmm. Wow. Well, I'd, I'd want to pick people that I, I maybe haven't
1: met before. Um, there's a lot of people that, you know, mentors and people that I really respect, um, people that I haven't met. And I would say, um, boy... I would say, you know, the late David Stern would be one. Um, I never really had a chance to really engage with him other than shaking his hand a few times, uh, and it'd be amazing to hear his stories. Yep. And then um, I'll give I'll give you three, just because I just finished two books. Four, um, <laughs> I would say um, Phil Knight would be another one. Yeah. Um, I, I I you know I just reading about how he built Nike is is incredible. Great. Book. Um, and then I would say Bob Iger would be another one. You know, he just seems like he's just, once again, very, 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 you know, just an incredible, incredible leader on, on a lot of fronts. Um, there was one other one I had in my head, and then it just slipped out of my head. Um, we'll go with those. We'll yeah, well, you already keep
0: the system. You you picked three, so we'll we'll stop it there. But I, I guess I, I would love to be a waiter of that table. Uh, that's certainly some, some great stories, and to your point, like just great people that have had a lot of success. And uh, so to close it out, Nick, you know, a lot of great advice throughout this, this conversation. But what are the three main takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day?
1: I, I would just say, you know, the first thing I would say is, is find out what you're passionate about. It doesn't need to be ticket sales because that's what I, that's what I came up in or Travis came up in. But find out what you're passionate about and make sure that your passions dictate your experiences. I think that's so important in life. You know, it doesn't matter if you're passionate about building operations or marketing or social media or um, HR or finance or whatever the case may be is, but find out truly what you're passionate about and then work your tail off to align your experiences with those passions. And and you won't feel like you work that much. You know, you, you will be working a lot, but you'll be so passionate about it. It'll, it'll really allow you to um, – to, 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 you know, kind of minimize and alleviate the grind. Every job's got a grinding, a grinding component to it for you. But if you're passionate about it, it'll, it'll really work to buffer that. I think part two is really understand the importance of relationships and people. Um, and that could probably even be part one. Well, I guess once you get past part one, but relationships and people are, are so incredibly important to, to your, to your own success, but to your own development and also just the situations you're in. Um, and then I think part three is, you know, once you get the opportunity, just just work your tail off. You know, the thing I love about what you're able to accomplish in sports is the fact that you can kind of control the outcome based on how hard you work. And that's honestly what I tried to do, and I still try to do every single day. And I see very successful people, you know, like a Dan Gilbert, like a Len Komorowski, like a Jay, like, like a Jay Furner, all these people that are in our world on a regular basis. They work incredibly hard. Um, and that part's, you know, I just don't think there's anything that can, be, that it can equalize hard work. Um, when, you, when you really commit to something. And so um, those would be the three things I, I, I'd talk about.
0: It's great. You know, you've talked about passion throughout the entire conversation. I think everybody listening sees the passion you have, your, your relationship building with customers, with ownerships, with mentors, and, and you obviously the hustle is, is a key. So I love those three key takeaways. And, Nick, thank you so much for your time. Great career. I'm excited to obviously continue our friendship and, and certainly continue to watch your career grow and, and certainly appreciate your time and expertise.
1: Thanks, Travis. Appreciate you having me on.
0: Again, this is Travis Apple and thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you ever need more, they've simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE For a free welcome bonus, that's one word, blue wire. Bet online, your online wagering experts. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt flipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears.